The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Advice Show. I'm Zach, a reporter at New Model Advisor. I'm joined by data reporter Alicia Hagopian. And today we're talking about last week's autumn statement. Alicia and I are joined by Kirsty Anderson, pensions and savings specialist at M&G. Kirsty, thanks so much for joining. Um, what did you make of the Chancellor's statement last week? Well, it was very interesting, wasn't it? There was a, a lot related to pensions. So given that I'm a pension specialist, um, yeah, there was quite quite a lot to, to talk about. And there's a lot that's going to affect your, your listeners and their clients going forward. So, yeah, quite, um, would I say exciting times? Don't know about that, but definitely not a lot to talk about. <laughs> Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, on that, I think there's a that's a good place to start in terms of pensions. Um, do you think enough was enough was delivered with pensions? I mean, of course, we have the single pot pensions news. I was wondering if you could talk us through that um, and also the plans to consolidate uh, smaller DD pension schemes. Yeah. So the thing with the, the kind of consolidation of the, the kind of smaller pension schemes and the single pot, it's one of, it's one of these these areas possibly that um, we'll be more than happy to consult on going forward. But I think at this moment in time with their announcement, um, again, I think there's probably more questions than answers around the kind of technicalities around how that's how that's actually how that's actually going going to work. I think for me, um, and again, thinking about the research that we've done, speaking to advised consumers over the last three years, understanding their concerns around inflation and interest rates and that type of thing. Um, I think for me, the main po- talking points around pensions is actually what's ha- what's happened from a, a kind of a kind of high earner perspective. Those individuals that have got kind of ha- larger pension pots, what's now going to happen uh, with the scrapping of the lifetime allowance? So for me, there's there's probably more talking points there than thinking about the, this this single pot at this moment in time. I think it's too early to really get into a, a discussion about that. I think there's going to have to be quite a detailed consultation with the with the various parts of the industry. So on, on the topic of the lifetime allowance, I mean, that's something that's been a really hot topic for the past few years, and yeah. especially in, in this past year. Um, so I think a lot of advisors that we've spoken to have said that there's been a lack of clarity, especially in terms of what will be replacing those rules. What, what's your yeah. perspective on that? And do you think, I mean, obviously there's more to go and we've still got a bit of time, but where do you mm-hmm. think that the the policies will go around that? And where do you think that there's still some gaps? Yeah. So I suppose the first thing that I would say, again, thinking about financial advisors, thinking about how consumers will be reacting to this, um, all of the research that we've carried out within our Wealth Unlocked report, I think um, I think we made you aware of that before, identifies the fact that um, individuals want the experience of financial advisors. You know, they, they want their engagement, they want financial advisors to understand their personal circumstances. Um, and over the last few years, intergenerational planning has become a bigger part of the advice story and these changes to the lifetime allowance and the fact that it's been replaced by these new allowances actually open up more opportunity for financial advisors 
Um, so the, the key areas that we were lacking clarity on that we've been given a bit more clarity um, are around kind of using your pension and leaving a legacy. So although the lifetime allowance has effectively been scrapped, we're now going to have three new allowances. You've got your lump sum allowance, which is really about how much tax-free cash the individual can get. You've then got your lump sum and death benefit allowance, which is really on death, what 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 will and will not be taxed and how it will be taxed. And we've got this new overseas transfer allowance, which I'll, which I'll come back to touch on later. I think the positive point that was clarified in the autumn statement, and we will wait to get more detail in the finance bill in the next couple of years, is the fact that um, if an individual dies before the age of 75 and their beneficiaries mm -hmm. wish to take those death benefits as an income instead of a lump sum, they will still be able to do so tax-free. And that's the main point that I think advisors need to understand. There was a big concern that there had been indications that that would be taxed going yeah. forward. So I think that's a, that's a really good point. And from an intergenerational planning perspective, that's fantastic news because we can take, can continue to use pensions in that way. And when you, sorry, just to come in before Zach might come in, when you say that it presents more opportunities for advisors, what do you mean? Do you mean that there's sort of more different ways to combine the different rules or? Yeah, so there's a couple of things that we need that we need to think about here. So the new rules that are, that will be in place. So it's all about lump sums. Um, so you know, depending on what tax is or is not paid, it actually doesn't take an income into account, which is very different to the previous rules under lifetime allowance. So for advisors, what they really need to do for their existing clients is check the scheme rules, because ultimately. Going forward, if a, if a client dies um, below the age of 75, um, they can effectively take up to the lump sum um, death benefit allowance um, tax-free. But anything over and above that, um, if it's taken as a lump sum, so if my husband dies, he leaves his pension to me, um, I he's got a significant amount of money, I want to take the excess over that lump sum death benefit allowance, um, I want to take it as income, for example, and then it, it's tax-free. But if the scheme rules do not allow me to take that as an income, I can't take it as an income. My only option will therefore be to take it as a lump sum and I will then have to pay tax at marginal rate. Mm -hmm. So for advisors, this is a big planning um, opportunity or it's a, at least a discussion point to have with existing clients to check the scheme rules. Because if the, the scheme rules don't offer the flexibility, the beneficiary cannot, they will not be able to take the option that they want to take yeah absolutely yeah and um you know we of course await more detail on all of this but i also just wanted to get your thoughts on that with the um overseas transfers allow overseas transfer allowance and how that impacts things yeah so we definitely need a little bit more clarity on that because so we're expecting that in the finance bill so this was this was a new allowance that, that effectively has been has been introduced so what that effectively means is you will theoretically have your overseas life um, your, your overseas transfer allowance which means it will be equal to the lump sum death benefit allowance so up to that amount you're going to be able to take and transfer that over there seems to be an indication here that there's a possibility that you will be able to have that as your overseas kind of transfer allowance but you may also still have your lump sum death benefit allowance here in the UK. So you might have a situation, again, this could be a real planning point, you might have a situation 
where advisors have got clients that they're going to get the benefit of taking some of that overseas without having to worry about paying any tax mm -hmm. and then they'll be able to they'll be able to have up to that lump sum death benefit allowance um or the lump sum allowance here as well but we do not know the detail on this part yet that's one of the points that we definitely need more clarity in the finance bill because we're not sure if they'll effectively have both allowances or if it'll be a percentage we just we just don't know that yet so it's one point that we need we need more clarity on yeah i mean we just you're right we just don't know how we should caveat this but if you if you were allowed to have both allowances how significant could that be i mean if you were allowed to have both that's going to be pretty significant isn't it because if you yeah. i mean and let's let's be honest here in the main not all individuals are going to benefit from this because most of us are not going to be in a situation where we've got, you know, over a million pounds sitting on our pension. So, you know, it's still for financial advisors, this is still going to apply to wealthier clients. But if you are planning on move, moving abroad, you could effectively um, be able to take your tax fee element um, within your kind of your overseas transfer elements because you're going to have the, the kind of the equivalent of that amount there. And you're going to be able to have the benefit of still of still kind of maximizing your tax free cash here as well. So effectively, you could have two, you know, you could effectively mm -hmm. have two pots of 1.073 million. But that is, again, I'm putting a huge caveat around that yeah. just now because we that might happen, but we genuinely don't know yet. We need to wait um, for the finance bill, hopefully next week for that. Yeah, because I imagine, I mean, this is obviously all hypothetical, but I imagine that that's not something that the government would want, is encouraging people with the largest pension pots to actually take that abroad, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think this is about encouraging people to obviously take it abroad, but the reality is lots of individuals do retire abroad. So, you know, we've already, we already had rules in place. There was obviously... Um, you know there was always a kind of an excess charge there at 25 percent, and to a degree that will that will remain it's just that, that you might get the possibility i mean i suppose if you think you know i have relatives who spend a lot of time abroad but live you know they're here for four months of the year they're they're, they're abroad because they, they want to enjoy the sunshine if you're lucky enough to be in that situation you're, you're going to get the best best of both worlds aren't you um, but again, as I say, that's going to be the minority. Most advisors are not going to have lots of clients that are that are kind of living in two countries. And um, just from a general sense, I, I wondered how you thought um, the reforms today, the reforms last week, rather, um, just went towards simplifying the rules. I mean, that's a massive thing we hear from advisors all the time: is it's just too complex, everything. Um, and a lot of the things, obviously, it's sort of a game of Jenga. A lot of the things announced, sort of are just as a direct result of other things being scrapped or announced. I wondered if you thought there was more that could be done in terms of simplifying the rules. The, the, do you know, this, this is always interesting, isn't it? Because when you think back to kind of pension sim simplification, the whole point of pension simplification was to simplify the rules. And you could argue that actually it introduced a lot more rules. When they first announced that the lifetime allowance was going to be scrapped, I think many people thought, oh, this is going to make our financial advisor's life much easier. We don't need to worry about it. But the reality is that isn't the case because we're, we're now going, you've effectively still got a lifetime allowance. It's just been called something different. You've still got a lump sum allowance. You've now got this lump sum death benefit allowance. You've now got this overseas transfer allowance. So for wealthier clients in that situation, it is still going to be quite complicated. But again, I suppose for me, I would say, if we consider the fact that, you know, on the back of COVID, um, 
we've seen an increase in the number of consumers that have actually sought financial advice. And that's because obviously mm. they're confused, they're worried about interest rates, they're worried about inflation, they're worried about the impact different things are going to have. Um, so for me, I think this just increases the kind of validation and the value that a financial advisor will bring to consumers. There is no way that end of it, or perhaps no way is too far, but let's be honest, most individuals um, will not be able to get their head around this. You know, most individuals, when they're automatically rolled into a scheme, for example, they go into the default. They don't necessarily get involved in their pension choices until it's coming to that point of retirement. So for me, I think this just validates the fact that actually financial advice um, is more important than ever. And it's not just about the current clients. It is about that next generation and, and engaging family members, which again, our Wealth Unlocked report to all the research from our kind of 3,000 consumers we spoke to validated that that was really important that advisors knew their personal circumstances. And the, um, I guess the triple lock remaining in place as well is is one of those things of, of, of stability, right? Oh, without, without a doubt. I mean, look, when we speak to advisors all the time and the regulators always had a, a really big focus on, on retirement income. Um, Obviously, you've got you you know you've got defined benefit pensions out with that. You've got occupational pensions, DC schemes. They've always been really concerned that when clients are proactively making a choice not to purchase an annuity and to purchase or to go into drawdown, you know there are risks associated with that, namely you know longevity risk, volatility, sequencing risk, and, and that type of thing. Um, they're really really focused, and they want advisors to make sure they've got a detailed analysis of a client's income and expenditure how that might change. So they they quantify that with, you know, what's their essential income, what's their lifestyle income requirement, and what's their discretionary lifestyle income requirements. And the reality is for most of us, a state the state pension will meet that that essential spend. For most of us, that will I was about to say that will cover your utility bills and things. And obviously that's perhaps not necessarily the case, but the fact remains that with the triple lock remaining, if your state pension is going to go up, it means for most people in retirement, that will at least cover that minimum need, which therefore means you've got the capability um, and you know that capacity for loss and all the things that advisors need to do um, to maintain your, your, your pension investment to get, to get more growth and, and help meet those, those lifestyle needs. So looking around the autumn statement then, um, you know, the other that sort of headline um, figure that Jeremy Hunt wanted us all to go away with was the 2% um, national insurance cut yeah. um, for employees. Um, the self-employed rate will also have been cut. I wondered yeah. what your thoughts were just on the impact of this. Um, potentially this wouldn't affect, you know, clients so much, but just generally and sort of the economic direction as this will obviously cost an awful lot of money. Um, I think 8.7 billion in the next yeah. few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, the, if if you think for an average basic rate taxpayer, um, this this is going to, I think it's going to save them about kind of four, £450, £460 per year. You could argue it's not a significant amount, but let's be honest, for the majority of households at this point in time, any saving is a saving. Um, what we found really interesting, and I'm going to tie this back to the national insurance cuts in a minute, what we found really interesting in our research, um, again, speaking to advised clients, that I think there's been an assumption that everybody or most people have reduced how much they're, they're saving um, because they're dealing with the cost of living crisis. And it's been really interesting because um, I would say the kind of 
the research showed that, you know, kind of slightly older age groups, maybe 35 to 44, 45 to 54. In some cases there, they had actually reduced their savings. And I think that's obviously because they'll have mortgages, they've possibly got some debt and that type of thing. But what was really interesting is actually younger age groups had increased how much they were saving into their pension. Um, and also, in the scenario where people had reduced how much they were saving, quite often uh, they were maximising or increasing how much they were putting away for their children. So I think the national insurance cut, yes, it's welcome. 2% is 2%. You know, for most of us, it's not going to make a significant impact. But for those that need it, it will offset some of, the, some of their bills. But I think there's a couple of things to think about here. Actually, if you do not need the benefit of that kind of, you know, that £464 or whatever it's going to go per year, um, and if you are in a situation where you do want to put more money away for your children, we've obviously got a lot more flexibility being introduced with ISAs. So there's opportunities here for advisors to discuss with their clients, actually, do you want to increase your savings then? You know, if you don't need to see that mm -hmm. um, go into your bank account, could you be up in your pension contributions? Um, or indeed, could you be putting that into into another into another tax wrapper? So I think that's that's one one side to think about, and I think that would tie in with the fact that you know people are worried about the future; they want to protect what they've got, but they want to kind of make sure they can tra transition and pass them um, pass benefits down to the next generation. Um, the good thing is it doesn't sound like it's going to. So we spoke about state pension; it shouldn't affect your state pension. You're still going to get your no. national insurance credit, so I think that that's a huge one. We're paying a little bit less, but it's still going to it's still going to benefit there. What you do need to think about for those individuals who are part of a workplace pension scheme and their contributions are paid by salary sacrifice, normally what happens is because contributions are paid by salary sacrifice, both the employee pays less national insurance and the employer pays less national insurance, mm -hmm. they tend to pass that saving on to their employees. So there's actually a knock-on impact here because the national insurance saving is going to be reduced. Therefore, the, the, the additional saving that individuals might get, that's also going to be reduced. So it, it, it does have a little bit of an impact there if you're, you know, workplace pension paid by salary sacrifice. Yeah. And, and this is also alongside, you know, a 1% cut for self-employed workers. Yeah. And presumably that matters to a lot of smaller IFAs because they are those self-employed. But they're self-employed, they're business owners. Yeah, a lot of them are, are in that situation, you know. And let's not forget, I mean, my husband's in this situation. He's self-employed too. So, you know, it's... um. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a, it's a little bit of a win, isn't it? You know, any any one percent here, two percent there, fantastic. Longer term implications for that. It will be very interesting to see what happens at a kind of a government level, but also, you know, we're not really seeing energy bills and things coming back down yet. We're not really seeing our shopping bills coming back down yet. So, great, it's two percent cut, but is it going to make up for everything else that we're dealing with? Possibly, possibly not. Mm. And on that on that line of thought as well, um, of a sort of limited cut when you take everything else into consideration, um, with frozen tax bans, um, doesn't a lot of this not make a massive difference um, due to fiscal drag? Yeah, and this is actually a, a key thing that I've been speaking to advisors about um, for, for quite some time now, particularly since the autumn statement last year, because of course you've got... Um, certain things being frozen so your personal allowance is frozen um the different tax bands are frozen but alongside that you've got your annual allowances and exemptions being cut so your dividend nil rate band has already been cut in half and will be cut in half again your cgt annual exempt amount has been cut in half and will be cut in half again mm. so again from an advisor perspective and, and thinking about the knock-on implications for 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 clients 
we're now going to be in a situation when we go into the next tax year that you know you will have clients that just you know they've perhaps got a, a GIA, a general investment account or they've got some kind of collective if they do rebalancing in there they could be using up their cap their cgt annual exempt amount very very quickly now and they're going to be in a situation where possibly they're going to be paying tax pension contributions can absolutely play a really big part in this because I don't know if you're aware, but if you make a pension contribution, let's say, you know, it's £4,000 net, £5,000 gross, what that actually does is it extends your tax brackets. So if you've got a gain coming from, from somewhere and you can't avoid it's mm -hmm. out with your annual exempt amount, if you can afford to make a pension contribution, it sometimes is hugely beneficial because you can expend, extend that your basic rate tax bracket, for example. So pay your, you know, your gain at, at, at basic rate instead of higher rate. So it's difficult we've, yeah you're absolutely right we've got this fiscal drag but from an advisor perspective i think there's even more opportunity to speak to clients to add the, or show the benefit or the value that they can add not just by looking at different solutions but thinking about tax wrappers and how they can minimize how much tax is being paid overall but you know one thing that comes to mind in all this as well is is if you're sort of you know I mean, pensions have pensions changed so greatly from every conversation I've had with pension experts. You know, pensions every single decade look very different. But right now, if you're a younger person starting to save and maybe not even that young of a person, but in your 30s and you're really starting yeah. to think about where to put your money, where to put your pension, all these things, it seems like a very confusing time. And it's extremely unlikely that what your pension will look like will be the same as your parents or people who are you know, taking out their pensions now. Um, I think that ties into the Family Savers report that um, you have published at M&G. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that and especially about sort of young people going into advice and not, sorry, going into advice, um, young people receiving advice and how to sort of engage that younger generation and raise awareness of all the different changes that are going on. Yeah. So again, this is hugely inter interesting to me. I think as an industry, we absolutely do need to bear in mind that, you know, the, the key um, generation that we need to engage with are those kind of like 35 to 44 and kind of 25 to 25 to um, 34. Um, I think if you think there's so much regulation tied up in pensions, it's, it's very detailed, it can look very, very complicated. But um, from the research that we've done, 91% of advice firms know that they need to make sure that they've got a target market that thinks about that next generation. You know, we need to make sure that we're engaging with them, that we're communicating with them. Our research showed that actually the younger generations had increased how much they're saving into a pension, possibly because they're staying at home, they don't have mortgages, possibly they're not in a situation where they have debt. So actually a higher percentage of them have increased how much they, how much they are saving. Um, but I think as an industry, we do need to think about how we engage and how we interact. And whilst I'm not going to pretend to be a specialist in social media, you know, I see my nieces and nephews who are in their 20s and my daughter, who's only 11. If you cannot get a message over in a couple of minutes in a short, you know, a short video or something, they're, they're going to be disengaged. So I do think as an industry, we need to we need to move with that. And I know there are uh, various societies that, you know, that we are, are all members of and advisors are members of one of their key initiatives is actually to engage with the kind of the next generation and also not just the next generation but actually to think about women more as well I, you know I, I know we're not really touching on that today but 
you know, 60% of wealth in the UK is going to be in the hands of women in the next kind of five years. The way in which we think, we engage, we act is, is quite different to the stereotypical client of an advisor at this moment in time. So I think advisors need to think about the next generation, but they also need to think that in the next five to 10 years, a lot more wealth is going to be sitting with females rather than males. And they're going to have to, they're going to have to think about that because the way, you know, so for example, at this moment in time, if people have got inheritance tax as an issue, males, they tend to want to retain control of that money. They want to leave it as a legacy. They don't want to pass it on whilst they're alive. Our research showed that actually uh, females want to see their children, their grandchildren benefit from that whilst they're alive. So that's, that's quite different. That's passing it on now whilst they're alive rather than leaving, leaving it as a legacy. So I think over the next 5, 10, 15 years, we're going to see quite a significant evolution of how we engage with the next generation and women as well. That's really interesting, actually, that 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 about um, women wanting to pass on their money while they're alive, because I think, you know, maybe we don't think about enough how demographics play into sort of the different actions that people might take over their life with their money. And that really, yeah, that, that really does tie into inheritance tax and lifetime allowance and, and all these other things. And I think that maybe, you know, I guess it's difficult because as an advisor, you shouldn't profile your clients. But at the same time, I guess there are different things to expect from different people and sort of making that work in a, in a, in a unique, unique way to each client is very important. Uh, what was interesting to me as well was the, sorry, that just what you mentioned about young people contributing more to their pension pots. That surprises me, actually. Yeah, so it was quite a significant percentage, actually. Um, I think overall, um, 64% um, overall, um, overall kind of different age groups um, were quite concerned about money but despite this about 30% had started increasing increasing how much they were going to pay and um, how much they were paying into pensions so that to be honest that surprised me as well but when you start thinking about it, it you know if, if they are at home if they are thinking about the future and if they if they don't have the same um expenditure that we do with mortgages and children and that type of thing it, it seems like a bit of an obvious thing to 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 increase to increase savings Sorry. Yeah, sorry. You're going to say that. Oh, sorry. Were you going to say something, Zach? Uh, uh, no, no, no. Stop. No, no. I was, no. I just. I. I think that you're. You must be right. I mean, that idea that sort of the younger generations are living at home for longer and maybe have less expenditure for a, a longer period of time. But I mean, obviously, it's a great thing to encourage people to contribute more to their their pension pots and from early on, and then it allows for a lot more accumulation but yeah. something you, you mentioned about social media which i guess we can't get into that much here is you know the the rise of all these influencers and which which can be a good thing encouraging people to save but I, from my experience i don't think i've ever seen anyone on social media talking about pensions really and yeah, I think so I, I, yeah yeah, I do think there's a gap, and I think that's across the industry as a whole. Um, what I really liked seeing in our research, however, is that an increased number of people, so, you know, 36% of people were saying the most important thing to me from a financial advisor is that they understand my, uh, that they understand my kind of family situation. 
but an increased number, I think it was about 49% of, of family members said they were very comfortable sharing the same advisor because if their parents and grandparents trust that, that, that financial advisor, then they will as well. And they were quite comfortable talking about it openly. So yeah, I do think that, you know, the way in which we engage, it will need to evolve, you know, and, and what shape and what form that will take, I, I don't yet know. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's something else. But I think where we stand right now and the key message that I would say to advisors is, you know, think about your clients as they are right now. Think about what's important to them. We, we've obviously touched on the fact that the way in which women react, behave, think about investment is different. Um, current females you know they currently we outlive we outlive our male partners if you think about care homes we outnumber them three to one that generation so you know individuals in their 60s 70s 80s possibly have not been as involved and as engaged so that's a huge opportunity for for financial advisors to engage with them but younger women you know in our 30s and our 40s 50s 60s we've worked hard for our money we feel that we deserve that we want to be more proactive and again if I think about my personal situation you know I'm not in a situation where I'm going to kind of sit back and be extremely cautious I'm, I, I will I will want to take opportunities and I think that means that you know advice firms need to think about the kind of how they stereotype uh, certain types certain types of investors and the fact that they need to that they need to engage with them differently but if we go back to the research and you know away from social media perhaps but there's a real opportunity if if 50% or 49% of the people that we spoke to said that they're comfortable and they would trust their financial advisor and one of the most important things is for them to understand their personal recommendations that's a huge that's a huge opportunity sorry their personal circumstances that's a huge opportunity for the advisor to engage with their clients and their family members you know i, I just most firms i think are doing Definitely. it but it's a huge opportunity Absolutely. And, and of course, you know, more clients, the advisors win as well. <laughs> well, without a doubt, you know, you know, advice firms obviously want to think about growth. They want to think about developing, even if they're thinking about selling their, their, their business at any point, they need to think about value. And one of the, one of the, you know, the thing, ways in which a business is valued is how they're going to develop or generate new business. And, you know, if you've got a, a plan in place that way, that can only be a, a, a benefit to, to an advice firm. Definitely. Well, thank you. That seems like a perfect note to end. Um, thank you for joining me, Kirsty. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alicia, as well. Yeah, thanks so much to you both, Zach, Zach and Alicia. It's been really nice to meet you both. You've been listening to The Advice Show with myself and data reporter Alicia Hagokin. Today, we were joined by Kirsty Anderson, pensions and savings specialist at M&G. For any questions, please feel free to tweet us at New Model Advisor or email us at nmateam at citywide.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. The Scottish Mortgage Podcast Invest in Progress is back. Join the managers and their guests as they go behind the scenes of some of the most innovative companies of our time. Companies like Climeworks, who are pioneering technology to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Or Zobi, who are at the forefront of a new era of aviation developing electric air taxis. Or Aurora, who are building software so that trucks can drive themselves. Hear from the leaders of these exceptional businesses on their vision and what the world could look like if they succeed. Available now on all major platforms. Your capital is at risk.